0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson.
1: Uh, I'm going to roll straight on uh, to our teaching uh, for uh, this evening. Uh, we're doing the Book of Ruth. Um, it's a uh, uh, wonderful little book. It's only a short book, uh, but it's a really engaging story. Uh, and we introduced this last, last week, and we, we've given it the theme, Hope in Hard Times, because it tells the story of two women called Naomi and Ruth, uh, and how God looked after them in the midst of some really hard times they were facing. Uh, so just to give you background, because you might not have been here last week, you might not know the story, to bring you up to date. In the, in the Phantom comics, they usually start with For those who came in late, well, it's kind of like that. Here's the background. Here's what you've missed. Uh, You can listen to the podcast uh, from last week's talk, uh, but here's the story so far. So, as I said, it tells the story of Naomi and Ruth, these two women. Um, Naomi's husband dies. Her two sons die uh, as well, Uh, and she's left with uh, two daughters-in-law. She's in a foreign country, uh, and she decides to return home to Israel. Uh, Ruth decides to go with her, Um, and really the situation as they left, as we left it last week, was uh, they're in great financial difficulty. They've got no means for supporting themselves. Uh, Food has been an issue. There's been a lack of food in the country, uh, and and it's hard to see where they're going to get food from in the near future. Um, So they're in the midst of really hard times. They've had death uh, of close loved ones, It's unclear how they're going to be sustained in the future. It's it's unclear where their meals are going to come from. Uh, And we left it uh, at the end of chapter one in that situation. Lenny's going to come and read to us chapter two as we pick it up. And as we read it, I want you to be thinking about two questions tonight. Where's God in this story? Uh, And what are God's people uh, doing in the midst of hard times? Thanks, Lenny.
0: It's Ruth chapter 2, so we're just going to read through the whole chapter. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up whatever grain, uh, the leftover grain anyone has left behind, in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you! The Lord bless you! They answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaths behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained there from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your home and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said, You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves, and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also bought out "'and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. "'Her mother-in-law asked her, "'Where did you glean today? "'Where did you work? "'Blessed be the man who took notice of you.' "'Then Ruth told her mother-in-law "'about the one whose place she had been working. "'The name of the man I worked with today was Boaz,' she said. "'The Lord bless him,' Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. "'He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead.' She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter in law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law.
1: So you see there, if if you're having a look uh, in the Bibles in front of you, in in verse 1 of chapter 2, we get introduced to this new character, a guy called Boaz. Uh, We're told uh, not much about him initially other than he's a relative, uh, and he's a man of of standing, which probably means he's well-known, he's wealthy, and well-respected. Uh, and it's kind of weird because we don't know why he's mentioned at this point. His name is just dropped into the story uh, and we move on. Uh, and sometimes in, in movies and in books that happens, doesn't it? There's this name dropped in there early in the story. Uh, you're not sure why, but it's really the way that the storyteller is saying, watch out for this person. This character is going to be significant. Uh, keep an eye on it. So um, we're thinking of a few examples of this uh, in movies. You might think of others. Uh, usual suspects, Kaiser Soze. Uh, gets mentioned early on. What was the one you came up with from Star Wars, Kirk? Uh, the Snoke, gets Snoke gets mentioned in Star Wars early on. Uh, Boo Radley in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. You probably think of other examples. A name gets dropped in there. Not much is said about them, but it's flagging. This character's important. We get that uh, at, the, at the start of Chapter 2. Um, what also happens in Chapter 2 is... Um, there's a a transition from who the focus character is. So in chapter one, Naomi's kind of driving what's happening. She's the key focus. She's the key character. But straight away, as we move into chapter two, Ruth kind of takes over as the key character. She starts taking initiative and she says to Naomi, let me go to the fields to pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. She's going to be the one who's going to work actively to try and get them out of this situation that they're in. Now, what's going on through all of this? Okay, you need a little bit of uh, Old Testament background to understand this. Earlier in the year, we looked at the book of Leviticus, which is one of the books of God's laws uh, early on in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, laying down for God's people how they are to live, how they are to love and care for people within their community. Uh, and there's particular rules in there, uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, about caring for the poor if you're a farmer, the sorts of things that you need to do. So you read there, uh, When you reap the harvest of your, your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So here's the deal. Uh, If you're a farmer and you've got your field, you've got your wheat or you've got your barley uh, and you've got your workers cutting it down, they're not to cut everything down right up to the edges of the field. You're supposed to leave a sort of a perimeter around the edge that is uncut, unharvested. And the reason for that is poor people who have no fields of their own, no means for getting food can go and they can pick that stuff that's been left by the workers and the person who owns the field. More than that, once they've cut it down and they're gathering it into bundles, if they drop stuff along the way, they're not to circle back a second time and make make sure they pick up every single scrap, make sure nothing is left behind. If they drop stuff, it stays there. It stays on the ground so when the poor come into the fields, there's stuff for them to just gather and collect so that they can have food. Uh, Same deal with vineyards. If you drop stuff, you leave it. Uh, so that the poor can have it. There's other rules in the book of Deuteronomy also about uh, your olive trees, okay? So you beat the olive trees, and if uh, whatever falls down on the ground, that's yours. You take that away. Um, But if stuff is still connected to uh, the tree, you don't go and pick it all off meticulously, making sure that everything is gone. The stuff that's left after you've beaten the tree, that's for the poor, that's for the vulnerable, that's for people who don't have much in the society. So God puts these rules in place to make sure that the poor are cared for. It's kind of like social security in ancient Egypt. This is centrelink, right? Because there's nothing else um, in place. This is the way that those who don't have jobs, who don't have fields of their own, uh, get cared for. Um, God deliberately puts these laws in place so that the poor and the vulnerable, refugees people from other countries uh, will be provided for. Um, the farmers are not to be kind of ruthlessly trying to get every single thing for themselves, but to leave stuff for other people. Now, I don't know how you reflect on that. In our culture, if you're running a business, you're trying to increase your profits all the time, aren't you? Cut your costs, increase your profits. You're trying to be um, uh, just, just make every little bit of money that you can. Uh, And we often think to ourselves, this this sounds strange rules, right? Because surely if you're a farmer, you'd want to get everything that you can. And I'm sure that happened, that there were farmers who were like, yeah, well, I know God's law says that, but I actually want as much stuff as I can. I want to get wealthy. We can be really um, uh, greedy, can't we, in wanting to get the most for ourselves. Uh, And there would have been farmers who didn't follow God's rules. Just because God's rules were in place, they wouldn't have followed them. Uh, And probably they would have chased poor people away who were trying to collect up things in the field. You get that impression in this chapter because um, Boaz has to say to his workers, don't tell Ruth off for collecting stuff. Don't reprimand her. Let her collect things here freely. Um, He warns her not to go to another field but to stay in his field because she might be harmed if she goes somewhere else. Uh, He deliberately tells his young men, his workers, his labourers, not to lay a hand on her. He wants to make sure that she's protected, that she's safe as she collects things there. Uh, And at the end of the story, end of uh, this chapter two, you notice that Naomi says the same thing to Ruth. She says, don't go to someone else's field because if you do, you might get harmed in someone else's film. Basically, she could get abused, taken advantage of uh, if she goes somewhere else. So it's one thing to have God's rules in place. God set down these rules for how the, how the poor will be cared for. But it's another thing for people to actually obey them and to put them into practice. Um, Ruth is in a highly vulnerable position here. She's a, she's a widow. She's a young woman. She's out in the fields. And she's incredibly vulnerable in this situation. Um, I've been reflecting this week on this Uh, because there's been this social media campaign, uh, hashtag MeToo. I don't know whether you've uh, seen this. It's basically come out uh, in light of um, the the terrible behaviour by Harvey Weinstein, you know, sexually um, taking advantage of women, using his power to abuse women. Um, And there's been this campaign to say um, to women, post MeToo as your status, Uh, if you've been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted. Uh, And many people I know, many of you actually have posted that. Uh, And it's been a way of raising awareness that this is no minor problem. This is widespread. Uh, Terrible things that men do, abuses of power towards uh, women. And it's really a way of breaking the silence. Uh, And frankly, to shock us men, Uh, out of our naivety and denial and collusion uh, in this problem. So we read this ancient story and we see this um, woman, Ruth, who's in a vulnerable situation uh, out there in the field at risk of of harm from men. And then you focus on the stuff that's been happening in the last week in our own society, and you think 3,000 years of progress... Um, and it's the same sort of situations, the same sorts of uh, risks to women uh, in that society as in our own society. Uh, and just as we read this story and we see here's a godly man in Boaz who makes a stand, who tells his workers, you don't, be- you don't behave like this, you, you leave her alone, um, who creates a safe working environment for her and stands up. In the same way, it, it, it needs godly men and women today, um, but particularly men, to say this sort of stuff is not okay, we need to uh, make a stand to ensure that it doesn't happen uh, and to actually put uh, our Christian faith into practice uh, in this way. You see, too, uh, something of Ruth's courage here, don't you? Because she's heading out to provide for Naomi and for herself, and she's willing to take these risks uh, in order uh, to collect this food. Uh, But she ends up in Boaz's field. And uh, we see this Boaz, we learn a bit more about him. He's obviously liked by his workers. There's this kind of bless you, yeah, no, bless you, as they uh, engage with each other. Uh, He sees Ruth, And he's not sure who, he doesn't recognize her. She's not one of his workers, so he makes inquiries about her. Uh, And uh, listen to what they say. This is verse 6, right? He says, oh, who's who's that? I I don't know her. Uh, Verse 6, they say, she's the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. What do you notice? Very short sentence, but in the space of that sentence twice, she's marked out as a foreigner. Oh, she's a Moabite who comes from Moab. Well, where else would a Moabite come from? But it's trying to emphasise the fact she's a foreigner, she's an outsider. um, And Israelites hated people from Moab. There was this tension, this history going on there. She's a foreigner, she's an outsider. But they also say she came with Naomi. She's connected with Naomi. Um, And remember last week, when these two women returned, the whole town was a stir, talking about, and this is small-town gossip. Everyone knows who she is and who she's connected to. And as it turns out, Boaz knows who she is too. He knows something of her story. He's been impressed by her, even though he's never seen her before. He's been impressed by her courage, by her dedication, the fact that she left her family in order to love and care for her mother-in-law. And so Boaz does what he does next. He showers kindness and generosity on Ruth. He tells her to stay in the field and stick close to his servants. He protects her. Uh, at lunchtime, he gives her something to eat, and there's so much that she's got leftovers. Um, then after uh, lunch, he tells his workers, don't tell her off, let her keep collecting. And more than that, he says, and do you know what, when you're gathering stuff up, pull some out deliberately and drop it on the ground. So it's not just if it accidentally falls on the ground. He's going, drop extra so that she can gather it up uh, and collect extra. So he's not only going, oh, well, God's law says this, so I'm going to just just do that. He goes beyond what God absolutely requires. Uh, he doesn't just follow the letter of the law. He kind of gets the spirit of the law, that this is about caring for the poor, caring for the vulnerable. Let's, let's give her extra um, uh, so that she gets more. And the combination of Ruth's, Exceedingly hard work and Boaz's generosity means that she goes home with this bumper harvest. We're told that she takes home an ephah of barley grain. An an ether. Anyone know what an ephah is? 13 kilos. Yeah, I was gonna say that it's a tenth of a Homer, actually. Um, which in turn is thirteen kilos. If you look at the if you look at the cheat notes at the bottom of the Bible, is that where you got it from, Lenny? Uh, okay, I it the Bible. Oh good. But there's cheat notes at the bottom of these Bibles. There's a little note there. It actually says uh, 13 kilos um, there, which is a lot. No wonder that Naomi's eyes nearly pop out of her head when Ruth returns home. She's carrying 13 kilos uh, of grain. There's no problem where their next food's coming from. The immediate food crisis is over. They've got enough to keep going, and Ruth can keep working there, keep gathering. Uh, And we're told not only during the barley harvest, which is happening but she stays on to the wheat harvest as well. There's another lot, note of hope here as well in verse 20, uh, because when Naomi hears Boaz's name, she says, this guy is a close relative of ours, and in fact, he's a guardian redeemer. What's that mean? It's kind of a legal term. So we use terms, uh, legal terms like uh, next of kin, or someone has power of attorney, right? They're legal terms which describe people who have particular responsibilities or particular authority to act in certain ways. In ancient Israel, a guardian redeemer was a legal term for a close relative who had particular responsibilities to care for and defend family members, especially when those family members get into situations of difficulty. So this is not just anybody that she's bumped into. This is a guardian redeemer. uh, And the importance of that is going to unfold as we keep going through the story over the subsequent weeks. But I'm not going to spoil it. You have to come back next week to find out what happens. So that's the story. Uh, But what do we do with it? This is one of the challenges when you read the Bible. Um, When you read stories in the Bible... They're interesting stories, we read them, but the question is, what do we do with them? How do we apply them, right? Because we want to take God's word and we want to know, what do we do with it? So what do you do with these sorts of stories? The first thing that I think it's worth asking is, what is God doing in this story? This is a generally good question when you're reading the Bible. What's, What's God doing here? Because beneath the surface, you see that God is actively involved in providing hope in the midst of these hard times. You might call it the kind of hidden or surprising provision of God. God provides in a hidden way. Uh, So in verse 3, we've got the phrase, As it turned out. As it turned out, the field that Ruth happened to stumble across belongs to this guy, Boaz. Uh, And actually, in the original language, the Hebrew, it's stronger. It's more like... Oh, and by this absolute stroke of luck, Ruth turns up to Boaz's field. Except Hebrews didn't believe in luck, right? Um, So Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 33, says, The lot, like a dice, is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What looks like luck actually comes from God. And by emphasizing just how lucky she is, that she goes to this field. The author's trying to tell us, pay attention here, look and think, because God is in this. God is guiding and protecting her in these hidden ways. Uh, and Boaz expresses this beautifully in verse 12. He says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for protection. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what God does? It's like the the mother hen with the little chicks under the wing. Ruth has said to Naomi, chapter one, your God will be my God. I will stick with you and your God is now my God. Boaz says, you've come under the protection of God's wings. May he bless you and look after you. Ruth might not be able to see it, but God is in this. He's protecting her, he's watching over her and what she's doing. From one perspective, God is not, doing much in this story. God is is not obviously active, but in another perspective, he's overseeing everything that happens. He's guiding, he's protecting, uh, he's looking after her. And I want us to think about what that means in our own lives as we pause and think about uh, God's activity and presence in our own lives. Sometimes it feels like God's not doing much. Where where is God? What's God actually doing? And yet often uh, God is at work in hidden ways that we don't necessarily see at the time. Uh, sometimes when dangerous stuff happens, we're driving our car and a car uh, swerves and maybe just misses us, we go, oh, gee, thanks God, uh, you protected me, that was really close and we're conscious that we've been protected in the midst of a situation like that. I was once walking along the street and this brick hit the, hit the pavement next to me, it had fallen from like five stories up where these workers were working in it. And in those sort of situations, you think, gee, that was, that was close. Thanks, God, that that didn't hit me. But there's probably other times where things happen, where danger is averted, and we don't even know about it. We're not even conscious that something's gone whizzing past our head or um, you know, we're in a real situation of danger and we didn't even know, but you know, God's been in there. His hand has been guiding and protecting us. Uh, in less spectacular ways... We're often um, the recipients, or we are the recipients every day of God's goodness to us, providing food for us to eat, giving us rain for our gardens, providing us with relationships and friends. And those sorts of things can be so present, so common, that we take them for granted and we somehow think, well, God hasn't necessarily provided them for us. These are kind of complex issues to think about because um, obviously. Uh, people are working, the laws of physics are operating that God oversees. It's, it's a complex sort of thing to think about. What's God's part in it? What's people's parts in it? You know, what's just the way that things function? Uh, but in the Bible, there's this idea that coincidences don't just happen. Luck doesn't just happen. God is present. God is in it, in the midst of all of these circumstances. And I think it's really important for us to be very conscious and thanking God for the way that he protects us and keeps us safe when we see those things, to name them, but even to say to God, God, you've probably watched over him and protected me in ways that I didn't even know, and I thank you for those too. And with the things that we receive every day, our food, our shelter, those sorts of things, to be consistently thanking God for them and making sure that we acknowledge that all these good gifts come from God. You know, when we say grace um, at mealtimes, it can become a bit mechanical. We do it um, with my family, like, every every dinner time. We say grace, and it can be a bit mechanical. Thanks, God, for the food. But it's good, as a discipline, to say, this food has come from you, God. I acknowledge it, and I thank you for it. Uh, It's a model, a healthy model in all of these things, to basically recognise that God is at work, that the things that we have both the protections we receive and the good gifts we have, come from God to thank him for it and to also say, and I'm thankful for the things that I don't see that you've also provided as well. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think it's worth noticing here is what followers of God, godly people, are doing in this story. You see, while it's true that God is the hidden provider, God is in charge and overseeing everything that's happened, how does his provision come in the story? How are people cared for and how are people looked after in the hard times? It's because of the behaviour of people who follow God. It's the godly actions of godly people. Ruth and Boaz, who are models of people who follow God, putting it into action in concrete ways... And they're examples for us of how we should live. So think about Ruth. She's courageous. She sticks with Naomi. Um, she's loyal to her. She takes risks and steps out of a comfort zone uh, to look after her mother-in-law. She's hardworking. Uh, there's comments here about how she hasn't rested from the start of the day to the end of the day except for a small rest that she took. She worked hard in order to provide for herself and Naomi. So God provides, but it's not like Ruth sort of sits there and goes, okay, I'm going to sit here, do no work, hold out my hands, and and the barley grains are going to fall from you, God, into my hands. No, she works hard, so it's her hard work, but it's also God who provides, working together in both of those ways. Boaz, um, we've got these laws from God that say, this is how you are to care for the poor. But he does it, he puts it into action. And as we saw, he's not just, okay, I'm strictly going to keep the rules. He's got the heart of God for the poor and the vulnerable, and so he goes beyond what he's required, and he's just generous in making sure that he's looking after those who are most in need. The way he treats Ruth, who's an outsider, a widow, vulnerable, a foreigner, is a living example of God's heart for the marginalized. God has a deep deep um, heart for those who are the weakest and the most vulnerable in our society. And Boaz lives that out as a follower of God and shows what that looks like in action. Ruth has put herself under the wings, under the protection of God, but it's actually Boaz, as a follower of God, who offers that protection and help in practice. He uses his hands to express the love of God to her and to provide for her. So let's think about what that means for us in the different areas of our life. Um, you can think about it in terms of work. If you're someone who uh, is a worker, uh, all of the action in this chapter is in the workplace. It's out in the fields where people are doing their daily work. Uh, and you can think about uh, what that means for you at work. If you're a student, basically your studies, your schooling, that's, that's kind of your work. That's, your, that's the thing that you focus on. Uh, and it's helpful to be thinking about Okay, what does this look like in those areas of life where we spend a lot of our time? Both Ruth and uh, Boaz show integrity in their work. They are both hardworking uh, and they are committed to providing um, for their families. Uh, Boaz uses his leadership um, and the power and authority that he has in his workplace to make sure that it's safe for workers and that he's following what God wants him to do. But it's more than just hard work and integrity that's on display here. You can see that these people are are generous and gracious in the way that they're undertaking their work. They, They go beyond what's required and find ways to bless other people in their work. So Boaz uses the power and the resources that he has to provide for the most needy. And the question is, what are the opportunities that you have at school or at work to go beyond what is required so that you can show something of how generous God is and how gracious he is. It's going to look different for all of us, uh, but it's helpful to think about it. I mean, if you're studying, um, it's helpful to think about this is not just about you getting the best possible grades for yourself, but how are you generous in helping other students. Don't make it a competition where you have to win at others' expense, but how do you help others to learn and to grow and be generous to them? Uh, at work you've got your job description sometimes people want you to do stuff that's not quite strictly in your job description are there times where you should say you know I'm going to help that person and be generous uh, in my work because I want to reflect the generosity of God that I have I know because I've experienced his generosity in Jesus and I want to reflect that in the way that I live now for mums and dads uh, caring for children uh, there's a chance to sort of um, even in those situations, to to go beyond uh, caring, to reach out to other families, to be generous, to bless, uh, and to do good things for your children—all of these things—the only limitations to grace and generosity are our imaginations uh, for how we can do this. And try and reflect, as Boaz does, the character of God, who is generous in the way that we treat others and do that. So God works in many hidden and surprising ways. But he uses people who love him and follow him to be his hands, to be his feet, to express his heart uh, in the way that we treat other people as well. So for you this week, uh, what is it at school or at work, uh, at home, in the neighbourhood, wherever you might be, where you can reflect the character of God and his generosity and grace uh, in the way that you treat other people? I'm going to pray for us in that, and uh, the band is going to come up while I do that uh, to lead into our next song. God, thank you that you are present, that you're here with us, you're at work, you're doing things all the time. Uh, And we thank you uh, for the things that we do see, the food that we eat, the relationships that we have, all these good gifts. But we also thank you for the things that we don't see. We thank you that you're there even when we don't see it, and you're providing good things for us that we don't always see. Please help us to be generous like you are generous. Please help us to reflect your good character in the way that we operate at school, at work, in our families, wherever we might be. And we ask that you would put on our hearts and minds right now something that we can do this week to express your generosity and love to others. Uh, And please help us to go and do it.